This is Developer Stories, where we ask you why you built it, and we look behind the scenes of some of tech's passion projects and people. Welcome to the show. You're in the right place. Welcome to Developer Stories. I'm here with Paolo Di Tommaso, a computer scientist and CTO and co-founder of Secura Labs. For those who that are familiar, it is the company that helps you run data pipelines using a pipeline framework called Nextflow. Before starting Secura Labs, Paolo was a software engineer at the Center for Genomic Regulation. And as you can imagine, he has deep experience in high throughput scientific computing and data pipelines. Paolo, I believe I first stumbled on Nextflow back in, I want to say 2014 or 2015. And before I knew you as the developer of Nextflow, I think I used to reference your awesome pipelines repository on GitHub, which I still refer to people all the time. So first, welcome to the show. Thanks, my name Vanessa. Thanks a lot for, for inviting me to this interview. It's very fun. Also, it's a bit fun because, yeah, I remember we were interacting quite some, some, some years ago. I think the first time was all about containers. Uh, yes, I was showing some code on GitHub, GitHub repository. I don't remember exactly the, 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 the real topic, but we, I remember we were interacting, yeah. I was adding containerization to a lot of different tools, like probably maybe something related to Singularity, I want to say. Definitely ran into you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably yeah, was related yeah. to Nextflow. I really like Nextflow. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to talk about Nextflow quite a bit, but before that, I would like to talk a bit about you and how you got to where you are today. Can you take us back however long makes sense and talk about your early training, your interests, and what got you into software and the biosciences? Yes, exactly. So I spent quite a lot of time, software engineer, software developer. Even before my master in computer science, I was already a developer. So this is something that always has been my, my hobby before my work. So I worked uh, quite a lot of uh, time into this field. Yeah, I worked different, different sector, IT, banking, telco. And at some point, I was starting to be a bit bored about doing always the same stuff. I was feeling that I was not having, not having real fun in what I was doing always the same same stuff. I wanted to to try something different. And that was something around 2007, 2008. So, and for also we were coming out all this revolution about big data, about cloud. I had some, some idea that uh, in some extent, maybe reading some, some, some paper, not scientific paper, just some magazine. That it could be applied to stuff about life science. That could be some, a way to improve health on um, people. I'll try to do something that could improve, improve uh, human life. But really naive way, yeah? I was definitely not thinking to do something concrete. or just a generic desire. But in, th- in, th- in this way, in this extent, uh, I started to, I made a, a master in bioinformatics. This is when these adventures somehow started. So I started on basic stuff, bioinformatics, the, 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 the foundation of the discipline. And then I got my, my master. Uh, I came to Barcelona, where there was the uh, bioinformatics lab that was the uh, Center General Regulation, and where I started my started to work our research engineering to the lab. And so where this were, was the place where I started to enter into this field, to 
to work on bioinformatics, life science. Also, a lot of inspiration came from my PI. It was setting at that time. that was leading, not that time, also now is leading the lab. And so we started to discuss how to use this new technology, big data, cloud, for bioinformatics application, because there was a big need, big demand to, to make this application portable, replicable, easy to run, and easy to scale. At that, at that time, also now, a lot of computation happens in on-prem cluster. Most of the time, uh, research institutes, they have their infrastructure. But Cedric had this idea, okay, we want to make it simple to run these in, into the cloud. At that time, the cloud was just launching virtual machine, was little more than run SSH into a virtual machine into the Amazon cloud and trying to run some stuff there. But at the same time, it was clear there was a huge potential this technology. So nowadays, we, we see cloud really change in a dramatic manner, the way we work. And so we had this idea that there should be a way to, to simplify, streamline the execution, computation into the cloud and having some bridge, some easy way to move the computation from on-prem to the cloud. And this sounds very similar to something they now start to become what is old school convergence, no? The convergence from HPC and cloud. So this is also a big topic. But still at that time, that was the, the, the core idea of the project, how to simplify, how to streamline, how to, how to make the computation seamless, deployable across different environment. And this was the all the, the, the beginning of this crazy idea of this project to become next flow first and secure later. So first, I can definitely relate to working in a field and feeling like you're not having like impact on the world that you want to. I, I wasn't in banking, but one of my early jobs was in finance. So it was like centered around money. And I was like, I just awesome. don't care. Like the spreadsheet, <laughs> I want it to go away. And, you know, it felt well, terrible. I mean, <laughs> it felt so empty. Different, but each has an impact, finance. <laughs> Maybe yeah, for so very few people. <laughs> This is really interesting. So it sounds like when you started the project that became NextFlow, the driving use case was really trying to be able to move things seamlessly yeah. to the cloud. Is that is that true? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, there were many different entities uh, we, we did. Most of the time, just big big failure or sometimes not failure, but uh, didn't, didn't work well as we were expecting. So yeah, gotcha. uh, it was, well, yeah. For those of our listeners that aren't familiar, NextFlow is implemented in Groovy, which is a pretty Groovy language. I believe, I believe it's a Java <laughs> derivative. Um, so I, I programmed in it for the first time when I contributed to NextFlow. Can you take us through the process of how you chose to start the project? And so that includes sort of choice of language, choice of putting it on GitHub, yeah. and then sort of in retrospect, the pros and cons to these decisions. Yeah, one reason is that I came from Java school. My background is mainly on Java, so I knew quite a lot of Java world, Java ecosystem. There is quite a lot of stuff, tools, library, but that was not the main reason. At the same time, when some first idea how, how I wanted to put together this framework for that analysis, analysis parallelization, I had some core idea that was, I, had, I wanted to ask, this tool that should be somehow functional oriented or have some kind of functional programming into this framework because that was the key to make 
the computation more replicable, easy, scalable, and also relocable into different different computing environment. So I I wanted to have this easy, yeah, have this some composite programming, uh, functional programming, and then and looking around this, I found an amazing programming library that is the G parts programming li library that we're implementing a lot of functional uh, algorithm and fun functional programming paradigm, actors, core routines, Dataflow, and many others. So while I was studying these, I fell in love because GPART stands for Groovy Parallelization. I fell in love with this programming language that is Groovy. This is quite a niche programming language. Uh, at the end of the day, you can think like a Python version for the Java Java uh, machine that didn't was lucky enough to become my stream programming language, but it's very, I'd say, very flexible. Provide a lot of modern programming paradigm. You can functional with programming style. You can mix functional programming with object-oriented programming. Uh, there are quite a lot of interesting stuff, and also another interesting feature that make very easy to write DSL to make specific languages because have a very flexible way to uh, manipulate the abstract syntax tree of the script that you are writing. So studying the this programming li library for parallelization, I learned a lot about Groovy. I discovered this capability to write ESL. And so these are uh, this a serious incident, how to say, they bring me to this idea to to implement this workflow engine uh, in Groovy. And also because also while I was playing around with this, uh, with this technology, also found another workflow engine that was B-Pipe, that also was written in Groovy. It was another excuse to, to learn this programming language. How did you come up with the name Nextflow? It, it's, <laughs> it's exactly one of those names that I'll always make a joke like, what about before flow or a little bit later flow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a nice question. One reason because I wanted to have catchy names, something that was easy to remember. So it, it was it was supposed to be something something simple, so simple word. There was supposed to be flow because there was the workflow idea, etc. And then next, next because that time, also nowadays, when I was working in the lab, the, the big technology that everybody was talking about was NGS, Next Generation Sequencing. That is the technology that allows you to sequence DNA, RNA, and then you need to process. So one of the main use cases for Nextflow was to, to write pipeline to analyze NGS data, Next Generation Sequencing data. And so that was the other reason why it took this next and put me flow and made this uh, next flow name. Also because I, I like this idea to have something that came after that was somehow similar to the data flow programming paradigm. So in the data flow programming paradigm, you have this, the, this concept that the data flow and like, like a stream. So somehow, I like this idea to have the next that was remembering me that they did this continuing move of the data into the into the the workflow. Gotcha. So you started the project, <laughs> you put it, made it public somewhere. 
then what happened? How did you get people knowing about it and using it? How did you build community around it? That is a nice story. Also, you have to tell the truth. I don't know why I put I put on GitHub, but I was likely because that time GitHub was somehow new. I really like the, the idea of sharing the code to work in public. So since the beginning, maybe not the, the, the early beginning, but after a few weeks when the code base was somehow prototype or somehow there was the core the, the core components, I decided to, to upload and publish on GitHub well, for many weeks and maybe even months, no, nothing happened. There were just few people in, in the lab using it or writing it, uh, some comments. But then at some point, I started to receive some feedback from, I remember maybe one of the first one was some bioinformatics lab in Norway. I start to make some questions. Oh, I'm using this with Slarm, or maybe not even remember which uh, computing engine it will, or maybe print the engine or something like this. I have this problem. Hey, let's try to fix this problem. Then, oh, maybe you could do also this. Let's try to do also this. So little by little, it started to grow with this, this community, asking for new features, providing feedback, trying it, helping finding bugs. And this was a self-reinforcing circle that uh, create a positive spiral, creating a community around it. And another important visibility came when I decided to create a Gitter channel. Now Gitter is not used anymore, or maybe very little, I didn't know, but was a, a developer chat pre-Slack era. And that bring a lot of, a lot of people around the community because uh, it was really an essential way to allow to engage with the people using Git that were having some problem that they say, oh, I have this problem. Can you help me? And that time I had quite a lot of time compared to the time that I had nowadays. And I spent a lot of time chatting with these guys. It was really fun and super useful because it was really amazing that you have people on the other side of the world using this tool saying, I have this problem. And you figure out a way and maybe in a few hours you share a patch and they were happy and was happy as well. So yeah, uh, GitHub definitely works. GitHub community, the discussion on GitHub on the issue, even more Slack channel, okay, Git channel, uh, Gitter channel, whatever, was a great way to to create this community, to create this, yeah, this movement of people that share the same problem and work together to find a common solution. So open source is very beautiful for this. Well said. You know, I really liked Gitter too. I wish it had been a thing because GitHub is by far my favorite social network and it kind of just faded out and was replaced by Slack in these inferior places. So you're going along, you're growing community. The repository is, is getting probably larger in terms of contributors. At one point, did you kind of realize, hmm, there might be sort of a business idea in here. I should take a next step. Yeah, when, when at some point, they, they, at some point, the project become too big to, to be managed by a single person. So I started to see big company asking, oh, we want this feature. We are using Nextflow. We need support. We, need one, we want to do this. So we started to have quite a lot of, I won't say pressure, but a lot of people came in, in into the project asking for crazy stuff, UI, support, management layer, 
of these kind of things that was not possible to 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 manage like a pet project or a lab project. So at this point, one side was the idea, okay, let's make this a business, but the other side was, okay, the only way to continue to grow the project is to become independent. And so it was somehow, yeah, uh, a way to survive <laughs> because otherwise it was impossible to continue to, 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 to have this project growing in the lab because at the end it was not the main topic of the lab of the research activity. It was not possible to sustain anymore in an efficient way or sustainable way. That's a really interesting insight because I suspect a lot of us open source maintainers hit a point like that, but perhaps we're not in the right life situation uh, to be able to kind of turn it into a company. But you're spot on that creating a company is a way to make uh, a project, a way of doing something yeah. a lot more sustainable. Yes, exactly. Yeah, to to make the, to transform the, the protein in something that young yeah, can sustain independently. So you have a co-founder. Is there a story of like how that exactly. happened? Like, did you pull him aside? You're like, hey, I have like a fiendish idea. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> tell us that story. Evan, uh, Evan, uh, yeah, Evan was PhD in my lab. He joined the lab uh, 2014, if I'm not wrong, and and was one of the guy there. Understand? Maybe one. Yeah, maybe I don't want to say that the one I understand better, but I really remember one of the first day I was talking with, with Evan about this project. I remember he made some observation. I don't remember the exact word, but I remember he made some comment about the project that it made me think, wow, he understood exactly the idea behind this tool. So it impressed me a lot at uh, that time. And then he, he really engaged with, with the idea, with what we were doing, and also pushed a lot. All the community around Nextflow since the beginning, trying to create a community, documentation, and then then escalating something much, much bigger, escalating into, into a company. And now he's a huge driver uh, of the company, Adam, and all, everything we do about Nextflow and everything we do with Sakura. How was the transition from kind of probably being a main developer to also having to take on the responsibility of actually like managing people and the company and the money stuff? And like, how, how did you, cause I know for a fact that you still look at code, you reviewed my PRs, so you haven't totally moved away yeah. from that. So you must be doing yeah, some kind of superhero thing. <laughs> Yes, a lot of people say that I should not do, but I really love doing PR. I really love code next flow. And uh, it, uh, it has always been a, a, a passion for me. Uh, so it's not a work. So I think I will never stop doing that, even though, yes, I am doing less and less because I cannot uh, do everything altogether. Yes, this is an interesting point. And when you start to, to work um, in a startup, you have less time, you need to spend a lot of your time not just uh, creating the technology on which your startup, your company is built, but also creating the company. And this is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a complex work. And definitely is more complicated than the software engineer work. So yes, it, it's not easy, but likely also we have very smart people that help is helping us in Sakara with the people. So providing help on this. But yes, it's not simple. Uh, definitely require a lot of work to 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 engage with other people to manage team. So at Sakura, 
who are your main customers? Oh, well, we have different kind of customer. We have from academia, biotech, small biotech, or research institute, to big pharma. So we cover all the spectrum in the bioscience, let's say, from small research lab to, to big, very big company, very big pharma. Because at Yan Yap, uh, this kind of technology penetrated almost everywhere. There's a lot of research and production made with, with genomics and, and which genomics pipeline are essential. And I still continue to, continue to be very surprised how this technology is, in particular, next to penetrated this field is very surprising me still nowadays. So one thing I've noticed about NextFlow and is what you just said, that it's very heavily used by the bioscientist community. And I kind of look to other communities that maybe don't have a well-established workflow tool. And I wonder like what's keeping those two things from coming together. Why do you think the biosciences community has been the predominant user body for NextFlow? And is there potential to kind of spread NextFlow, you know, the branding to be used by other communities as well? Yeah, this is a good point. Um, I, I'm not sure that you have a perfect answer, but I, I think because some extent we continue to promote through scientific publication and um, basically it creates a community of circle in the same domain that continue to use this technology. Um, and it's, sometimes it's a bit difficult to, to, to exit from this bubble the other, on the other hand, it's also because it's very specific how bioinformatics people work. I think there are also other communities into engineering, into physics, uh, image processing. There's some, so in some extent, it's similar, but maybe it's not general to all the other fields. So uh, there are other people using Explode that there is not life science, but a smaller compared to life science. Also because maybe life science, there is a bit more money, maybe not just a bit, but much more money compared, I don't know, physics or uh, image processing that create some relevance to this, uh, into this domain. Gotcha. And I ask a little bit selfishly because I, I work at a national lab and we have, I guess, a lot of what I'd call HPC workflows. They're more kind of simulations, yeah. but... What I've noticed is that we don't have an established tool. It's it's kind of it's kind of a mess. <laughs> and I'm out here trying to figure out like what should be the workflow tool for my community here. And I'm trying to figure out if there's an existing tool that would kind of fit nicely into that. So when you think of, I mean, you're very familiar with high performance computing. And it's, you know, it's just the case that like biosciences do use high performance computing, but they use it for a very specific kind of kind of pipeline processing. Yeah. When you when you think of something like simulations that are sort of MPI heavy, could there be a future where NextFlow can support this kind of work? Yeah, this is a good point. Well, well one thing is that bioinformatics pipelines are not real. HPC pipelines are are more data intensive pipeline or high throughput uh, pipelines that you just crunch a lot of files and a lot of job. But the point is they are not so optimized like an HPC data analysis or workflow, which is quite very specific. Maybe you 
you spend a lot of time writing that code only to to optimize very specific algorithm. Instead, bioinformatics pipeline are much more simple in some extent, or at least from a computational point of view, maybe. They mean that they just try to put together and prototype very easily a large number of tasks, putting together different algorithms, different tools, and without taking care too much to optimize the overall computation. So maybe this is a big limitation compared to HPC instead where the computation, all the point is to optimize as much as possible. So coming back to your point, if, yeah, if I think that at some point next year we'll cover HPC, maybe HPC in traditional manner, no, but what I expect in the HPC will evolve in a bit different manner. It is to be that also, I think you are referring as the convergence now, the convergence between HPC and cloud. I think HPC will change in the future and the same to become a bit more cloud computing like at the same time, the cloud computing will become a bit more near to HPC. If this is going to happen, maybe Nextflow can play a role there. But in traditional HPC, I don't think so. For me, traditional HPC is MPI. I don't think it's going to happen. Now, what we are trying to do is to improve the support for job array or this kind of stuff. Just to say that we are trying to optimize a bit more uh, the support for a bit HPC-like primitives uh, into Nextflow, but MPI is a bit different on the model compared to Nextflow. I definitely was thinking about convergence as you mentioned it before. And because you mentioned it so early with Nextflow, really trying to get an easy way to bridge, you know, cloud and then sort of someone's local machine, it kind of made me step back and be like, you know, this idea of convergence has been around a lot longer than I've been aware of it. And maybe it's just that now is when we're kind of trying to take it and turn it into more of a movement. So when you think about converged computing, how would you define it? And what would you say are some of the key factors that define a piece of technology that might live in that space? Yeah, one point is we need to um, optimize computation for ephemeral cluster. It is one key of cloud computing, you know, because all HPC at the end is all based on static cluster in which you optimize the computation because you know very well the topology and you have super efficient network connection and you do great stuff. But if we go to our clouds, to our clouds is all about ephemeral cluster that means changing topology and maybe machine that are that don't use the same, don't have the same specifics. So they they are much more heterogeneous uh, compared to HPC cluster. So I expect to have software layer that is more smart to handle this situation for example, like the work that you are doing with, with Flux, and it is an important component. So having an orchestrator or a grid scheduler that is able to better adapt the workload to a changing cluster topology. And the other side, my, my point is, uh, especially for pipeline workflow, uh, life science pipeline, is very important to have a more efficient way to handle storage into the cloud and for data intensive pipeline into the cloud. So because, uh, okay, we discussed a bit also in the past 
about it. So they think file system are not going to work into the cloud. At the same time, object storage that is native cloud storage solution for cloud is not working for that analysis pipeline. We need a layer that smooth this, uh, this requirement to make it possible to run this kind of tool, uh, HPC tool over the cloud storage. Ah, so you're transitioning into something I'm going to ask you about. So to step back on the points you just made, when we talk about a cluster in the cloud, for our listeners, we are talking about Kubernetes, I believe? Well, maybe nowadays, yes. We don't know what is going to happen next. 10 years, but nowadays, yes, I think uh, Kubernetes is the reference technology for scaling and deploying application into the cloud. But not just uh, not just that, I think maybe Kubernetes can be the provisioning platform to deploy another layer that take care to run the, the, the cluster. Exactly. So I know y'all work on other projects at Sekera Labs, I know you have one called Tower, which I think is that layer. <laughs> uh, could you tell us, well, to step back, we do this thing on the show called Why Did You Build It? And I'm interested <laughs> to know why did you build it and who did you build it for, specifically for Tower? Yeah, Tower is our uh, control plane for nice flow pipelines. But at the end, what, what is doing Tower is just taking your nice flow pipeline and deploying the execution into a cloud platform or on-prem cluster. But it's more an integration layer, meaning that it takes care to level all the infrastructure that they are behind, making it possible to run the, the pipeline or an Amazon batch or other batch or a Slack cluster and giving the same experience for the, for the user. So the user has now to take care to know how to launch job into a Slurp cluster or how to use the Amazon Batch API to run next to a pipeline. So it's control planning and uh, integration layer to allow to deploy the pipeline execution using a visual interface. Is there a good story for the name Tower or? <laughs> <laughs> um, also here, maybe we want just to find a easy name and the idea was to have a Control tower, so something that allows you to 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 monitor the execution pipeline. The 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 the, the, the first version of the application was just monitoring the execution of the pipeline. That we have that also the possibility to deploy the execution of the pipeline. Now we are adding much more stuff to the into tower, but the, yeah, the, the original idea was to have a control tower. This is why we call tower. Gotcha. That makes sense. Uh, that makes total yeah. sense. So you were starting to transition into this, talking about a more efficient way to handle storage. I'm guessing to get to that realization, you must have had a point where you're like, wow, storage on Kubernetes is really terrible. Can you tell us about that journey and how you sort of opened up this can of worms to, to look at storage and then what you learned? Yes, exactly. <clears throat> no, I remember... Next row, I start to have support for Kubernetes. It's quite a lot now. I think at least 2018. So, and one of the first limitation was okay, how we run next row into into Kubernetes. That was um, the first question. So, next row essentially what what does launch many tasks, and then each task share the result with downstream task 
sharing uh, the data across shared file system. The problem is how we manage this into uh, the cloud, how we manage this into a Kubernetes cluster. Okay, you have to use a shared file system into Kubernetes, but it's not a perfect match. Okay, there are some solutions, there are some shared file system, but at the same time, you, there's a lot of machinery you have to configure the, 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 the shared file system into your infra or the cloud infra, and then you have to configure the persistent volume into the Kubernetes cluster, and then you need to create the persistent volume clay. So a lot of boiler please. <laughs> and it was quite ugly. We 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 implemented this into Nextflow. So in Nextflow was is possible, was possible. Uh, you specify the persistent volume clay, but you still need to ask to some sysadmin to configure the shared storage into Kubernetes cluster. And this is not the experience that we were expecting for the user because um, what I always thought for Nextflow user is to have a zero configuration experience, the meaning that I have Nextflow, I have the pipeline, run it. That's it. I don't want to ask people, oh, now you have to configure that, you need to configure the persistent volume, then the shared, the shared volume or whatever it is huge pain for everybody. We want to have pipeline developer, pipeline user free to run where they want to run their pipeline. And so this bring a lot of thinking how to make this experience better, how to remove this friction, how to allow to scale in more efficient manner this pipeline into the cloud, into Kubernetes. And so now we came out with this solution that we deliver uh, a few months ago, the, uh, we, we, we called Fusion that essentially is a team object storage client that we run into the pipeline container that create a bridge between the object storage and the POSIX file system. So basically the tool can access the object storage using normal file operation, but then behind the scene, all this stuff become an API call to S3 or Google Storage and other object storage. And there is a lot of skepticism about this technology because, okay, uh, this sounds very similar to Fuse interface because it's Fuse interface, but what the point with this? The only point is that if you try to create a general purpose Fuse driver to for cloud storage, it works, but it's not very efficient because POSIX file system has a lot of primitives, especially for risk condition, file logs, and this kind of stuff. And if you want to manage all these primitives, you want to cover all the primitives of a POSIX file system over an object storage, you cannot create an efficient interface, an, an, efficient, an efficient client. But what's the trick that we are using into this technology that we are using <clears throat> internet flow? and also tower in our technology, that we only cover a subset of the POSIX semantic to make it work for Nextflow pipeline, essentially. Also because Nextflow has a um, special way to manage the data for the task that run the pipeline because each task run in its own working directory. So two tasks into an Nextflow pipeline never conflict each other. They are always independent. So having this assumption, we can relax a lot all the constraints into the POSIX 
file system that we need to implement over the object storage, it is make it very fast. Also because there is also, we are using a lot of caching over RAM disk or solid state disk that also these contribute to make very fast. So using this trick, essentially, these remove all the need to have to manage file systems separately to at least to run next row pipelines in the cloud because we can deliver this transparent client that simulate a virtual system over WGS storage, making everything simpler, cheaper, and quite efficient. We have some benchmark we should that essentially using this approach, you can scale as fast as a uh, large file system into Amazon Cloud, but cost much, much, much less, well, something like 70% less. Wow, that's a lot less. And it's really funny. I had like the exact same experience that you sort of just described where I was totally new to cloud storage and I didn't expect it to be super complicated, but I remember working on the project that I work on that I would take maybe like a week just to get something working. And I kind of would then step back, I'd have something working, but it would be a tutorial for the user that was like a page long. And it'd be like, go in the cloud and make this account. And then you need to make this Kubernetes secret and, and save it as YAML and copy it to a different namespace and apply. And I was like, this is just absolutely yeah. terrible. And it's, point, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And a point that, so your storage is called Fusion. A point that is very promising about Fusion is also that it would allow you to kind of seamlessly move between clouds. So for example, on Google Cloud, I did find a file store, it's actually called Google File Store, that I really mm -hmm. liked in the sense that you just very simply define it and it will be made for you. It'll be like, it, it was very seamless for me as a user. You know, there are some downsides, like it, the minimum size that you can deploy is like one terabyte, which I guess is reasonable for like biosciences. But if you're just doing something small, that is like, oh my God, that's huge and expensive. But even though that works well, I could never then take my workflow and use file store on Amazon. Uh, so it, was, it wasn't portable in that way. And I just imagine that the entire community must be going through this, like, I want a storage solution that I can use in both places that doesn't make me tear my hair out and try to get it working because of the permissions of the mount for like a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. This is also because all this technology came from what? From, I think, 10, 20 years ago, trial test system that were developed for HPC cluster. But the point is always the same. HPC is different from cloud. They can work, you can deploy, you can put a nice web interface or like you were mentioning about Google uh, Google Cloud that make, allows you to seamlessly deploy uh, NFS or they, they call uh, Google File Store in the cloud. But there's a lot of machinery behind as a lot of potential breaking points also because NFS does not scale very well into the into into the cloud. You should do use something more sophisticated, but then become more expensive. So it's quite horrible. Speaking of NFS and this future for converged computing, and this is a hard question. It's okay if you don't have a great answer. How do you see multi-tenancy mapping into cloud or not? <laughs> is that model, does it just need to die for cloud and we need to think of another way to handle multiple users? Well, wow, this is a good question. I really didn't know what I really know that I think the biggest cloud, the biggest, biggest, biggest problem that there is nowadays into the cloud 
is managing this kind of problem, especially about permission and authorization, is a nightmare. <laughs> a complete nightmare. And really, I don't know how this is going to be solved. Uh, if I can see some, some solution for scaling uh, computing or scaling storage, I, I have no idea how this is going to be to be fixed. It's very it's very complex problem and it's a horrible experience now what we have with this authentication system, permission system to authorize different users in different cloud, different services. All of them are different across cloud providers. It's very, very, very difficult problem. I, I have no idea how to, it's going to change. Yeah, I, I agree about the difficulty, the problem, and I don't think I have a, a great answer at this point. I have some tricks, but they're they're that, they're just tricks and hacks. So I, I thought I'd ask because it's an interesting thing to chat about. Okay, so the final thing that you have built that I know about, at least I'm sure there's many others that I don't know about, is called Wave Containers. And you use this strategy within NextFlow to basically grab this fusion binary and then inject it into the user container. Can you talk about where you got the idea to create that and a little bit more about Wave? Yeah, I think the interesting piece of technology is all about container. <clears throat> so Wave came from a very specific need that was around how we can adapt or modify or deliver infrastructural software into the pipeline that we run in Tower. So the problem is this. We are, uh, we are building tower to run NextFlow pipeline across different cloud. And what the, the, the main limitation is that each cloud, it's some different way to deploy things, to configure, I don't know, storage, to configure file system, to configure login, to configure cigarette. So one way is that we are using, uh, you can use, is to adapt your integration layer API to all these cloud providers. But this is a huge work because you need to, I don't know, write API to interact with Amazon Cloud for Secret. You have to do this for uh, Google. You have to do this for, I don't know, Oracle Cloud, Microsoft Cloud, Azure Cloud, or whatever. Kubernetes, a different way. Definitely you can do this, but first is a huge amount of work time cost and introduce a lot of potential failure point because each of them is a different different way. So different tests, different use cases, and different uh, potential failure. So the bottom line that we want to, try to to find a way to deliver custom software into the pipeline execution inside the job. So this means since all stuff runs into container, inside the container, but at the same time, we didn't want to break existing container. But this is an interesting challenge because most of the people tend to think container like an immutable piece of software or binary that you build once, upload there, and stay forever. That's true, but container can be even a bit more flexible because at the end, you can instrument a container, add the new stuff into, into the container without rebuilding it. We do every uh, all the time this stuff when you mount on volume. When you mount on volume, essentially you are you know, adding a new layer into the container that can be accessed by the file system. Also, this the the volume API is not general. You don't find on cloud providers. So we want to find a different way to augment the container without rebuilding. And the primary use case was to into the container, the Fusion client to access storage, but also 
is open anymore, there are possibilities. So how to do this? Okay, very simple. You can just put a proxy service between the Docker client and the container registry. So every time that Nextflow, in this case, because we use with Nextflow, need to pull a container from Docker Hub or Key or any other registry, Nextflow change on the fly the name of the container from, I don't know, Ubuntu to wave.sekera.io slash Ubuntu. This allows to pass through the wave proxy that what is doing, just go to the Docker Hub, take the container, return to the Docker client, but just at the end, add a little layer to the layer that make the, the full container that contains the, the banner that we want to add into the container without rebuilding on the fly. And this is super, uh, <clears throat> super useful because we can adapt basically the container on the fly depending the the pipeline, the user that is running this pipeline, we can adapt dynamically at runtime depending also where this container is running. It's a very nice way to modify the container on the fly without rebuilding. So this solves a lot of problems because just uh, allow us to, to, to augment the container with new content about the older building machinery. I think it's super useful also because data pipelines, people tend to use many different containers. And this change over time frequently, also rebuilding them is quite, is quite boring with them. Do not talk about also all the problem with the preparation, authorization, maybe you are containering into Docker or uh, Amazon or Key. Uh, you can even mix container. You have to remember all the different credentials instead of using Wave, basically we also allow to uh, transparently authorize all the container using the credentials that are stored into tower. So it's a smart way basically to do several operations over containers that are authentication, authorization, augmentation, the meaning that we can add content without rebuilding the container and even building if the user wants to build the container. And that's project which we are working right now is that essentially a set of on the packages into the Nextflow pipeline. And if you run the pipeline locally and you have Conda, maybe Nextflow use that Conda packages, download the Conda packages using the Conda banner that you're, you're computing. But when you want to run this into the Amazon cloud, this is more problem problematic because to run into Amazon cloud with Amazon Batch, you need to use container. And so what Nextflow with Wave is doing is building on the fly all the container using the Conda packages. So it's a smart way to provision container basically on the fly, depending what you want to run. Gotcha. And indeed containers, well, unless you're talking about singularity containers, which are just like one actually read only binary uh, containers are actually layers. You could have called the tool onion, just saying, so, you know, if anyone is listening, I think we need a tool called onion out there to, to go along with the whole layer metaphor. <laughs> Sorry, that was a really <laughs> bad joke. <laughs> I was going to make an, a Shrek joke, but then I was like, okay, I'll just... Uh, anyway, so when you look into the future, where the future might be the next year, next five years, what are your hopes for Sakura Labs and Nextflow? We are working hard with this technology. We want to make more scalable. Uh, like I was mentioning you before, now we are working 
to improve the support, for example, for job array to 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 to, to better support uh, data intensive uh, HPC use cases, if if not, even though not MPI stuff. Also, yes, we are working hard to improve both wave infusion and power, but especially yet um, we are trying to to deliver this idea multi-architecture pipelines and I mean that you may want to run this pipeline in maybe uh, using uh, GPU and this uh, Intel processor or Graviton processor depending on the cloud where you are running. So one, one goal for not far future, but near future, something like uh, next year is having the ability, yes, to, to streamline the deployment pipeline across different architecture. They can be HPC, microarchitecture, or cloud architecture like Graviton that allows uh, people to, to save a lot of money. So we are coming up on time. I have just a few more questions. If you could go back in time and give advice to your younger self, what would you say? Well, well I could say that invest in open source are really something that is powerful and empower people, and it is fun. So I think this is not just generic, generic uh, statement, but I think I would never expect that a uh, little project next go could grow like that. So, and I think one of the reason is is because the project was open source, was making available over GitHub, and this is a our tool that give a lot of power to everybody, just finding the right idea, the right niche, and solve the concrete problems. So if you try to find this nice way to, to do nice stuff and we're having fun, I think this is a very nice way to empower, empower people. A final question. What's it like living in Spain? And I think <laughs> you're in Barcelona. Yeah, I'm Barcelona. It's nice, I like it a lot. Nice weather, nice lifestyle. I love the good food. I love the going to the to the beach. So definitely suggest. Yeah, I would love to go to Spain someday. I have I have ancestry, I think, in Galicia, which is like on the other side of Spain, uh-huh. but I'm not yeah, sure how. Yeah. yeah. So I would love to go there. Paolo, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Nextflow has really been a big part of my story since I entered the biosciences and the software engineering communities as a graduate student. And I'm so grateful that I got to chat with you and and hear the story behind Nextflow. And I'm excited that even though I'm not really in the biosciences anymore, I'm working on a lot of projects that kind of sync up with some of the ideas that you're heading towards with respect to sort of storage and Kubernetes. And I, I hope we have the opportunity to work on something cool in the future. Yeah, definitely. I really enjoyed the, the chat. I really enjoyed to have this opportunity to, to talk with you. And yeah, I really I would really love to work with you on some project. I think we have a lot of convergent interesting interests. Awesome. Thanks, Paolo. Thanks a lot.